0: Well, let's welcome you back to This Week in the Association. I'm Rob Pannier, joined once again by my good buddy, Kevin Lucco. And this week, Kevin and I are honored to welcome back a, a good friend of the show and an incredible manager there, Sioux Falls Canary skipper, Mike Meyer. Mike, thanks for joining us this week.
1: Gentlemen, thanks for having me on. It's It's been a while, so I'm excited to be back on.
0: Well, before we dive into anything baseball related, I, I want to say that uh, you called me out on something and you were 100% correct, so... Kevin and I talked about having Dan Vaughn on as our Halloween guy, and you corrected, saying Mike Meyer was the ideal guest to have.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, I was born the same year that uh, the first Halloween movie came out. Uh, The main villain in the character has the same name as I do. It's only fitting that I would be
2: your Halloween guest every year.
0: (laughs) Can you talk about?
2: Can you talk Halloween candy as good as Dan Vaughn? Well, see, that,
1: you know, we'll see, because I I just enjoy all of the candy, so I don't really have any that are, you know, stay away from. I like chocolate. I like the fruity candies. I like gobstoppers that last five hours. I can do
0: any and all of the candy. (laughs) What about like Those can last five hours, too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, it's bit of honey on yeah
1: i mean if if, yeah. if they're still giving bit of honey out i'll 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 take one you know we have a little bit of a weird thing here too both of my my kids have food allergies so they can't eat most of the candy because it's all either processed or you know it's made with peanuts and tree nuts so they go, you know, trick-or-treating, and then they do a little sorting and find a couple of different ones that they can eat, and then usually they end up making a little candy store, and, and they they sell it to suckers like uh, me and their grandparents, um, and, and we buy Halloween candy from them, so, um, but then I get to pick, you know, I get all of them, all the best kind.
2: Well, you're a good dad you know, that
0: way. Yeah.
2: You know, the one we did mention when Dan was on was those little, they're like peanut butter, but it's almost like a chewy peanut butter, kind of a waxy thing, and then they have that peanut butter in the middle of it that just has, like, no flavor at all. It just tastes like um, flavored sand. Do they still make those things, or am I dating myself? Yeah, I'm not sure that I know what you're talking about. Maybe, maybe it's a Minnesota thing. Could be.
0: Well, Mike, we appreciate you talking a little Halloween with us, even though we're past that. But, man, we're frozen we're up on Thanksgiving, so I know you probably have exciting Thanksgiving plans going on.
1: Yeah, we do. We have a, you know, I'm born and raised in Tucson, um, large family here, uh, and uh, all of my, so my mom's the, the eldest, and then my, my Aunt Laurel, and then my, Uncle Billy, and so my grandmother, for every year since, you know, she's been married to my grandfather, they've hosted Christmas. My mom always hosts Easter. My aunt hosts um, Thanksgiving, so we'll be at my aunt and uncle's house for Thanksgiving. There'll be probably 35 of us. And then my uncle, who's the youngest, he's a baby. He's actually closer in age to me than he is to my mom. Um, we created a holiday when I was a baby, uh, because I was born a week before Christmas. And so instead of just doing a birthday party, we sang Christmas carols. So it's called the carol Sing. So it's actually an official holiday for us on the canoe side. Um, so we all get together and sing Christmas carols and have dinner the week prior to Christmas. So that's our tradition. So we'll be at my aunt and uncle place they always do a fantastic job too with cooking it's it's maybe my favorite holiday we
2: have so so in Arizona what do you do you like decorate a cactus or what what is it like because you want I imagine you watch all these traditional Christmas movies and there's snow and all the usual holiday stuff and now you're in Arizona and there's not Mm -hmm. unless you go up in the mountains there's no snow to be had yeah, so we do the we, true Christmas we do. spirit yet.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, it will. So the after Thanksgiving, my neighbors across the street actually put their lights up today, which I think is a little early. It's you know debatable. I we're always the you know the day after Thanksgiving that Black Friday. That's that's an acceptable time to start putting Christmas lights up. Um but yeah, so for us, you know, we'll do we have, you know, trees in our front yard and, and shrubs and bushes and stuff. So we we decorate all of that. Um, with Christmas lights. And, you know, it can be a big deal out here too, because you don't have to deal as much with the elements. Um, So there's quite a bit, you know, things you can do with, you know, the decorating for Christmas. But we do, we do actually get snow here. The difference between us and places that are really, really cold is it'll snow here for, you know, maybe an inch or a couple inches, and then it's melts by midday. So you don't have to deal with it as much. And, it just usually doesn't happen for Christmas. We generally get the snowstorms in January or February. So there's only been be I'll be my 46th Christmas, you know, in Arizona, and we've had one white Christmas, 1988. That's the only time we've had a white Christmas. So, uh, yeah, you miss that feel a little bit, and there's days when it's 75 on Christmas Day, you know,
2: which is, makes it a little odd. Hey guys, up here in Minnesota, up here in Minnesota, there's already a, a radio station that's doing all Christmas music.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, Kevin, I actually know this because I was just there. I just flew back in from uh, Minneapolis on Friday and uh, Dool and I were actually driving back down to Sioux Falls before I flew home and, and we were flipping through the stations and we heard it. We heard the Christmas music. So I think it's a bit early.
2: Yeah, I do too. Like you said, after Thanksgiving, you know, then let it roll. But until then, no.
1: Yes, absolutely,
0: Mike. I gotta tell you, I, I gotta tell you, Mike. I I think what would you know this holiday thing that you have that your family's kind of put together. I, I think there should be a Charlie Brown special associated with that. I mean, <laughs> what, what what happened there?
1: Yeah, yeah, that, there should be. Um... So yeah no it's been it's been great and we we all live you know everybody lives basically in Tucson and in Phoenix all even my cousins and you know all the generations we have one um we have one of my cousins her and her husband and a couple kids live in uh Reno Nevada that's the only ones that are not usually around everybody else lives in almost everybody lives in Tucson and then we have uh, I think we have about eight people that live in Phoenix now. Um, so we, we, we're very tight knit. Um, we've had some fist fights over board games, you know, it's one of those type of, you know, tight knit competitive, uh, you know, families and, you know, sometimes, you know, you need to have a little fisticuff, you know, to settle things. So, um, but, but we like it. It's, it's just, it's a, it's a lot. It, It can be overwhelming. Um, it's a lot of people and, um, so it it can be you know full
0: day long events. Well, we appreciate you talking a little bit of holiday time with us here, but I think we're supposed to be a baseball show. So uh, let's just, let's talk a little bit about yeah, not, uh, not like us a goodbye track, Rob. <laughs> no, 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 not at all, not at all. You know, Mike, I want to say I I loved the idea that you had for the season when you came out here decided you were going to be a lot more active on the base pass this year. And boy, that sure worked. Would you walk us kind of through the philosophy of how you built this team and and what led you to kind of go with the decisions you were looking for for this year?
1: Well, uh, Lamar and I were the two managers uh, selected to be on the pace of play committee last year. So we spent the second half of the, season excuse me two years ago so we two years ago and um so we spent the second half of the season kind of going over you know game times um the averages between each city um you know the league averages what are some of the things that we could do to kind of try to quicken the you know the pace of the games and one of the things that we were talking about was the pitch clock and you know, Lamar and I were both all in, and we were going over, you know, the rules that MLB was going to be adopting, and you know, all that sort of thing, and and we decided that we wanted to go the same as them, um, you know, with fifteen seconds and twenty seconds with runners on, and two disengagements, and that sort of thing. So, you know, as we were going through the process, and I was kind of diving into some of the research that had been taking place in the minor leagues and things, and and you know, we saw that. In, in affiliated minor leagues, uh, the attempts kind of had skyrocketed a little bit. So, you know, I thought, well, heck, um, it's already tough enough to find elite defensive catchers that can really throw in our league. Um, but on top of that, we have a lot of younger guys or maybe, you know, guys that are just they're not great at holding runners Sometimes in a lot of the cities you have older guys playing up the middle defensively, so they don't really work all that hard holding runners at second, so stealing third can be a little bit easier. And I just thought to myself, man, if we could get some speed, we could really take advantage of these new rules. Um, not only is it a benefit for us offensively, but I love, like, the 1980s when guys would get on and they, they're trying to steal second, like, in the first three pitches. I just love that style of baseball. Um, you know, so that was one of the things I thought, man, this could open this up. Um, let's see if we can get some guys that can run. And obviously we already had Ulrich and you know, getting Klan in pretty early in the offseason. It was like, all right, well, we got a couple of guys that can really run. And then some of the other pieces started coming around. And then it was like, look, in spring training, hey, we're going to push this. We're going to try to steal 85%, you know, if we're successful 85%, we're going to keep running. And if you, if you steal a couple bags and you don't get thrown out, keep running. Um, you know, and that was kind of our philosophy, just green light them, we didn't really have any signs, and it was just like, go play, go play, and go play fast. Uh, and obviously, it was really, really pretty successful for us.
0: I, I love that idea, because, again, you know, I'm and you in the same side as you, I, I lament what happened to the stolen base kind of thing, you know, Tim Rain stealing 100 bases and Ricky Henderson yeah. and guys like that, and you, you don't even remotely see that kind of stuff. I love that play, and I thought it it, surprised, it made games a lot more enjoyable, I'm sure, to manage for you as well as you get to watch your guys strut their skills in a lot of other ways.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And plus, you know, I think a lot of the times, too, it adds just a little bit more tension late in games. You know, two years ago, you have a guy that, you know, maybe doesn't run all that well, and, and he gets on via walk or base hit, and he's on first base, and it's a one-run ball game in the eighth inning. You know, you don't, it, it doesn't add that element to it. Where now, this year, not just for us on the base paths, but, you know, most of the teams that we played, you got to really pay attention because even if it's a guy that doesn't run all that much, with the new rules and the disengagements and the and the clock and not want, you know, you're shaking off and the next thing you know, you're rushed by the clock, guys get bigger jumps. I just, I think it added a lot more to our league and to, you know, the excitement, especially late in games. You know, and it and it kinda changed a little bit of the philosophy where there was a lot of times there's probably six or seven times this year when we were in really tight games, especially late in the year, where we would get a guy on first base to lead off the seventh or eighth inning or the ninth inning. And normally what are we gonna do? We're bund them over, right? Well now I don't feel like I have to waste an out. Let's see if we can we can jump, you know, and get a get a stolen base here in the first couple of two pitches and then maybe we'll bunt, you know? So I think it adds a little bit more, you know, strategy to the, to the game, you know, and, 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 obviously that excitement
2: within that is that, is there a message you send to your batters to maybe let a pitcher to go in, in a bat? Because I know as I'm watching games, I don't know how many times I've seen it where a guy takes off the second and we're thinking he's got this stolen easily, and the, the last second the batter falls the ball off. Mm-hmm. Is there a message sent to the hitter to be a little more selective to give that guy a chance for the stolen base?
1: Yeah, so a lot of our guys, um, we talked about it. And, it's you know, it's it's all grow, you go through growing pains, you know. So we had many of those times early in the year when we would get a good jump second pitch of that bat and it might be a one zero count and we foul a ball off and it's like this guy's standing up you know just let it go and now you're hitting with a runner in scoring position but as we went along and we kind of talked there was certain hitters um that you know we felt really comfortable giving them the green light uh to swing away so there was a lot of times where it, it, it's almost a run and hit you know so the guy's trying to get a good jump trying to swipe second but if the hitter gets a cookie, we want him driving it in the gap. And, you know, we're, we're going to run for days. You know, now we got to run score, scoring from first, and we got a guy on second base. So depending on the hitter, if we had a guy like Ozzie up, Ozzy's going to take it. He's going to take that pitch every time. He doesn't care to get into 0-2 counts or not. Um, if it's a guy like Jordan Barth up there, we want him hacking. He's very aggressive at the plate. If he gets a cookie, you know, he gets a hanging breaking ball or he gets a fastball right down the middle, we want him taking a swing at it. Yeah, sometimes he's gonna, you know, foul it off, but but we'll take our chances with that, you know, and and more as a run and hit. So they they don't have to swing because we're trying to steal it, but if they get a good pitch hit, we want that we want them ambushing it.
0: You know, I have to tell you one of the things I really liked about this move, Mike, was that You've talked to me a few seasons. Uh, originally, you, when you came in and, and took over in Sioux Falls, it was the big home run numbers you were looking for, and then you were looking for guys that hit into the gaps and got doubles and things. And and I love that this season you decided, hey, look, I'm, I'm looking how the rule changes are going on, and I can, I'm can, i going to try to take advantage of that and really make some moves with my team here. And you know, I, I think that's one of the things that people don't give you enough credit for is the way that you adapt yourself to kind of the situational things of what's going on with the team. And I, I'm sure that really is satisfying for you to know that this game plan really was so successful when you went out on kind of a limb on this to try to work this out, if that made sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, for me, one of the things that we talk to our guys about all the time, and, you know, I kind of always try to remind myself, you know, there's no such thing as you know staying stagnant. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. So for us, you know, let's take the things that, that have been successful for us. Let's try to improve on those. And then let's, let's make adjustments on, you know, on other things. So we do want to hit the ball of the ballpark, especially in our ballpark. You know, everybody knows, you know, about the bird cage. We know that it's a home run friendly ballpark, um, you know, and so that's worked really well for us at home, but we struggled a lot when we get to the road, trying to manufacture runs. So how do we fix that? All right. So we go after, you know, some high on base percentage guys, um, You know, and that helps us with our run production a little bit when we're on the road, you know, so we're now a little bit more competitive offensively on the road. But if those guys aren't slugging home runs, it's hard to beat teams in the birdcage if you aren't hitting the long ball. So, okay, how do we do this? You know, and so we've been constantly trying to evolve and just trying to really figure out, you know, which is what's going to be the best fit for us, not only in our ballpark, but also in our division, which is an absolute gauntlet. But also, in all the ballparks in our division, and so really adding the speed element to it, you know speed never slumps you know you got a guy like you know Whitefield he may hit two forty you know and walk a handful of times, but every time he gets on first base, he's still second still third, and that that's a that's a huge deal and and he man i mean he scored himself a lot of time on leadoff walks where he would just Steal second still third and and they would throw the ball on the left field when he was stealing third and he'd come around and score and we scored a run and haven't done anything yet um you know so we wanted to add that we thought it we, we thought it could play out obviously i wasn't sure how well it would work um but it, it certainly did and i think one of the other things that i'm really kind of proud of it it, it wasn't one of our guys stealing 80 bags you know we had a bunch of guys that were still you know 15 15 plus bags so it was really a nice, you know, uh,
0: depth of of athletes that could that could swipe some bags for us. No, I think that leads to the inevitable question, because the ultimate goal for guys are trying to get into affiliate ball, and, and so mm-hmm. I wonder, do do you see this becoming something where minor league and major league clubs try to use the stolen base a lot more, and then your guys are ready to move into that dynamic?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think they're going to, you know, try to take advantage wherever they can. And I think the big difference is in the big leagues, you know, it's the best of the best. So every catcher, you know, almost every catcher is a plus thrower in the big leagues. Um, Most of the pitchers, they get really pretty polished with uh, being able to hold runners. Uh, I'll tell you guys this. I I was unbelievable holding runners. I was one of the world's greatest pitchers at holding runners. Now, part of that is because I gave up so many darn hits that I had guys on base all the time, so I had to get really good at it. But, you know, there's also there's other guys where it just hasn't been a focus for them, and, and a lot of those guys are in our league. They're really good pitchers. They're smart. You know, they can execute three different pitches whenever they need, but the one thing they haven't really focused on is, is having a good pickoff move and or changing looks. Um, and you can take advantage of that and we we whenever we had a guy that was kind of you know we call it UCLA so if they're in that one of those letters you know on your count um, and and they're consistently you know pitching at the L it's like all right we're gonna we're gonna start jumping them especially if they're like a one five one excuse me, one six to the plate. I mean, it's green lights for everybody, even guys like Jabari. Hey, listen, you get on, you feel good, you get a good jump, go. So I think you'll see MLB starting to try to do some more of that stuff and maybe looking at now, especially too, without the shifts in the big leagues, guys that put the ball in play, their value has skyrocketed, you know, because they can't put, you know, three guys on one side of the field. And so I think all this stuff, you know, it's just going to, We're going to see it
0: every year. It's going to just be more and more evolution. Well, I got to tell you, I wondered after the 2022 championship series that after people saw Keon Barnum steal third, they were thinking, well, man, I can do that too. So just, I mean, everybody should be running at this point.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, and that's the biggest thing. Like a lot of the time for those guys, stealing third, is the easiest. I know Jabari, he's gotten really good at it. He might swipe one or two bags a year, but he picks really good times to run. You know, runner on second, nobody out. They're not paying any attention to him. He's kind of talking with the shortstop, you know, being Jabari and being super friendly and funny and everybody's having a nice time. And, you know, they're not realizing that he's been adding a step to his lead every pitch now. And, you know, he picks it, the guy does one look, and boom, he takes off. They're yelling, step off, but it's too late, and he's walking into third base, and now we got to run around third with nobody. So it's, it's a big weapon, and I think with the pitch clock, it, it's, it's become even more, and I think it's just going to continue to be like that. And, and defensively, we've got to try to do things. You know, like one of the things we've talked about is maybe starting to have our catchers backpicking at first a little bit more than normal. Um, at least that way they can't get big secondary leads from first, you know, trying to jump you. A lot of the other thing is, is it's like trying to wait, maybe having a hand signal from our catcher because everybody's kind of doing the hop, hop, hop steal. Uh, see if we can catch them in the middle of a hop and pick. So I think it's just it's fun, it's fun to think about. You know, it's kind of like the run pass option, what it's done to football. You know, it's just added a different element to it.
0: Well, let's talk about a couple of guys that had phenomenal seasons for you. And we'll start with the guy who was probably, in Kevin, in my opinion, the, the biggest all-star snub uh, was Charlie Hasty. Um You know, he, he was a guy that I, seemed to us at least came out of left field to become your closer and probably the best closer in the league last year. I mean, what, yeah. What's the process that, that led you to put him into that role?
1: So I don't know how much you guys get to see him pitch live over the last few years. Um, his first year with us, 2021, it was a below average year. But stuff-wise, you look at him and go, hey, man, this is a guy that's like 88 to 90, but it's like Mariano Rivera cut. It's just all natural cut. So the VLO maybe doesn't look that great when you're watching it on TV or you're in live and seeing the radar gun but you're seeing the action of the pitch. And it was just kind of him, you know, needing to feel like he bo- he belonged there, that he was good enough to pitch at, at this level and kind of learn and, you know, make the mistakes and grow from those things. And I saw enough to want to bring him back for the uh, 2022 season. But he also got with Ty Coldbreath, and, uh, you know, we joked body by Ty, uh, got on his, like, lifting program, his stretching program, uh ty does a lot of hip stuff um it's worked really really well for a lot of our guys you know gaining you know a click here click there velo um you know and he would send videos to myself and ty of him in his in his basement in iowa when it's you know 20 below zero throwing against a mattress uh with his little pocket radar and he was you know kind of lighting up some 90 90 91s in the basement you know in the middle of the winter so we were pretty thinking there was more than likely he's going to be hitting some twos and threes. And he came, you know, and, and he was really good. He had a very good year for us setting up for Riley Farrell. And, uh, he just kind of kept growing as a person as well. And he got to the point where he was arguably our most consistent guy. Um, you know, we had Mitchell Walters and, and Riley Farrell that had maybe more velo, but Charlie was, really consistent. Um, You know, I talked to him in the office and said, look, man, I really think you got a chance to be our closer, but you got to be ready to go from like the jump, you know? And he was like, I'm ready. That's kind of where I'm thinking too. And it just was a very easy transition for him. Um, You know, he's got tons of guts. He's not afraid of any situation. Um, And he just is starting to get more and more consistent. I'll tell you, he's going to have even a bigger jump coming up this year. He's really working hard on, the consistency and the shape of his breaking ball uh, to add that other weapon because he's basically a one-pitch pitcher, um, which
0: makes it even more impressive. When you see the All-Star teams come out and he's not one of the guys, how did he take that?
1: Um, so, funny story, uh, I, I just assumed that he was – I honestly assumed he had made the team, <laughs> um, you know, so I just thought he was going to be on it. And so I told him like, Hey man, you know, congrats. You know, I think you're, you know, there's, I don't know how you're not going to be on it, you know, type of thing. Um, You know, so he was like, Oh yeah, you think I'm going to be on? And I'm like, Oh yeah, no doubt. And then when he wasn't, it was kind of a gut punch. And I was kind of surprised, Um, you know, and I get that his ERA wasn't as, you know, great as everybody else is, but he's also pitching in the birdcage. He's pitching in the biggest situations, you know, for us. Um, And he had like two bad outings all year. And that was basically all of his earned run average, Um, you know, so, you know, he had an unbelievable year, but it was kind of a shock. I think it just fed him to, to keep, you know, grinding and, and, and kind of go shove it up, you know there you know what and 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 proved to everybody in the league that he's deserving of you know of some accolades and so I was super happy for him that that he ended up getting selected as a reliever of the year so it was good for
2: him he earned it for sure I thought it was kind of odd because Akeem Bosick was named and I think that was around the time that he was battling an injury yeah and I you know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, this is going to be pretty simple. I don't see a key pitching in the all-star game. Why don't you replace him with Hasey, who should be there to start with? Then, yeah. you know, justice has been served. But yet, you know, with all due respect to the guys pitching for Fargo, I just didn't think, you know, Wyckoff, who was pitching town ball by the end of the year, he was named to it, Corral Prime was named to it, who... I just didn't get the logic there. So, I mean, I came out with my own all-stars. I had Charlie Hasty on there. So, but, um, I appreciate that. I get as much of a a vote as KG does. So there you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I will say though,
1: the all-star teams are tough because of logistics, you know, we vote for those teams so early, um, you know, and then we don't find out who's on it, but they, they do that to try to get logistically get flights booked and all that sort of thing. The league office will actually kind of reach out, um, you know, and say, Hey, is, you know, how so-and-so any injuries, you know, whatever. So we can try to see. And, you know, I think the only reason why there wasn't Uh, you know, an addition because, you know, Bostic was out with the hamstring, so he was not going to be pitching, was they they wanted him to be able to go, and the only way that was going to happen is if they didn't fill his spot um, with hotel rooms and, you know, travel and all that sort of thing, and they had enough innings to get through, so they didn't need another guy, and I think that's why it ended up being that way, so. Um, But, you know, look, he got got some accolades at the end, and, and he was selected to go down, and, and compete in Mexico and and did a really good job. So, you know, you know, I think people are starting to recognize that he's pretty darn good.
0: Well, let's talk about the rookie of the year. Uh, Jordan Barth was just phenomenal for you. Um, Did a great fine, fantastic job at shortstop. Was a guy who seemed to always be on base and and just really got that offense going for you. Just talk a little bit about your thoughts about watching this guy play for you all season.
1: Yeah, so I, you know, I'd I'd heard about him. Um, We had Ozzy Martinez playing shortstop, so
0: I didn't have room for
1: him, and he went and played in the uh, Pioneer League, and he gets there, and he, you know, when you first see him, he doesn't necessarily pass the eye test as far as you know his build for a shortstop. He, He doesn't look like a traditional shortstop, so. I think a lot of the time people just kind of look at him and go, oh, well, he might have been good in D2. Well, I'm smart enough to know that Augie has a powerhouse of a program. And if Huber says that a kid can play, they can play. So I, he was the first guy I signed last offseason, and I kept telling everybody when I was talking to, like, recruiting Darnell for six months to try to get him to come to Sioux Falls and talking to Mike Hart and talking to Jabari and all these guys, I'm like, hey, guys, we got this kid, man. I'm telling you, this kid can play. Like, he can really play. I wasn't sure if he was going to be the everyday shortstop, um, but I also had – I knew Ozzy was going to be there a little late, and we had Darnell, so I was like, we're covered up. But if he can play second base, he can play third. And we get to camp, and I put him at shortstop, and and, and Darnell's like, this is the guy you were telling me about? I was like, Yeah. And so after day one, Darnell goes, he doesn't look like it, but this kid can, he can really play. This kid can really play. And uh, so then we got Ozzy back from the Puerto Rican double A and we're in Kansas city. And uh, Ozzy, who I put at shortstop cause he, you know, he's a shortstop and he goes, I can play third. You know, I'm really good at playing third. He came into my office cause he's like, this kid can play shortstop. So We made the full switch, and it was great to watch him. He's one of the most consistent shortstops I've ever had. I think he had one throwing error all season, one of the most accurate throwing arms I've ever seen from shortstop. Like, his footwork is so great. A lot of it comes from his racquetball playing days. Um, You know, he's got, like, 12 national championships in racquetball, and uh, you know, I think that helps with his bat-to-ball skills when he's hitting. But I also think it helps him with his footwork when he's making those awkward throws that you have to make from shortstop, uh, and and allows him to be so accurate. So it was just, it was so fun to see him, you know, put up the numbers he did, but also make some so many winning plays for us. Uh, and I just really desperately hope that that some organization is smart enough to give this kid a chance because
2: he's just he's just a winner. I guess the thing—the thing that really stood out to me too was that it, when Jordan was up in a clutch situation, he just delivered so many times for you guys, big hits, game-winning hits, and that's so what really put him, put him on the map in my mind. And then, like you said, the stuff of the defense too—just an all-around good player.
1: Yeah, I don't really know what you're talking about. He, you know, he only had four walk-off hits in his rookie season. <laughs> Kevin, <laughs> but he also, I want to say he had about 12 hits in like the seventh or eighth inning that put us in the lead as well. So they don't go down as walk-offs, but Hey, they're just as important. And, uh, you're, you're right. He's about as good a clutch hitter as, as we've had in a long time. So he reminds me a lot of our championship year. We had our third base in Grant Richardson, um, Bo Torbert won the MVP, but Grant Richardson was our MVP. Um, you know, because he just kind of got those clutch hits. Whenever, whenever we really needed one, he got it for us, and that's how Jordan was for us this year.
2: Do you feel like uh, Augustana being Division One in hockey and having success is putting the school on the map, or are the guys that you're bringing in from Augustana, are they the ones putting the school on the map?
1: I think maybe a little bit of both, but I tell you, listen, that. Their baseball program, you know, p- people don't really know it, but you know, Barth was there when they won the national championship. You know, Seth was with them again this year in the uh, in the College World Series. You know, they've got a it's a powerhouse of a Division Two baseball program, um, and they and they are pumping out some some pretty good guys. That you know, they've got another guy that I I'd, I'd really love to get this year, but I think he's going to get drafted. Um, Arm wise, their catcher is probably going to get drafted. He's another guy that I would take. Um, I shouldn't be giving this information now because now the other managers are going to go after them. but they, um, you know, they've got a lot of talent there, Um, you know, and some other teams in our league have pulled guys out of, you know, Augie as well. So, you know, it's nice to have. And and one of the biggest changes I've had, you know, being in Sioux Falls for 16 seasons or whatever, and, and having those two years when I was in Laredo. So, you know, over the course of 17, 18 years, the amount of talent that's now starting to come from that area um, compared to what it was you know 17, eighteen years ago, there was not any talent in South Dakota and Sioux Falls area. But now there is there's there and it's getting better and better every year. We've got guys like Hunter Clannon that live there now that has his like strength and performance you know academy, Chris Regis, who's all-time great canary. He's got a thing in Harrisburg where he's pumping out, you know, these high school talented players that are going to play in major schools, you know, and getting their opportunities. So it's it's good to see. It is really helpful. You know, it's tough when you're competing against Chicago and Kansas City and, and you know, in Dallas, um, you know, and, and it's getting guys to stay close to home. I think the biggest thing that's helped me really is St. Paul being AAA now because, we, you know, we can go after those Minnesota boys um, you know, and and have us be like their hometown team, us or Fargo. So, that's been that's helped out quite a bit.
2: I'm glad you brought up Seth Miller because I thought he was a revelation, especially in the second half of the season. I was in Kane County the night that he got a start right before the All Star break, and it did not go well at all. All of a sudden, Kane County was a power hitting team, but I yeah. just thought it was. Just amazing on his part, the way he was able to bounce back from that outing and just put up some really good numbers for you the second half of the season.
1: Oh, yeah, he was fantastic for us, and he's going to be even better next year. So, you know, a lot of that was, you know, as everybody's, you know, well aware, our pitching staff was not very good at the beginning of the year. It's it's arguably the worst pitching staff that's ever been put together in the history of baseball, um, but that's okay. And uh, But, no, he, he threw – like 95 innings or something at Augie and he was kind of averaging 135 pitches there at the end. Cause he was, you know, a horse for him. Uh, he was tired. He was, he was cooked and he'll never forget that game in King County. I'll never forget that game in King County. Um, you know, but he called, I called him and Chris Harden who had also, you know, run up like 85 innings at Western Oregon prior to our season, called him in. I said, here's what we're going to do both of you guys are going to be in the rotation and we're going to throw you guys, you know, basically you get one start and you get 10 days off. And uh, it it was not necessarily ideal for us from a pitching, you know, standpoint depth, but that was really the only way we were going to survive and get through the season with both of those guys giving us what we needed and staying healthy. Uh, And so that's what I decided to do. And it really was beneficial for us. They both kind of, rebounded a little bit having that time off you know in between and and and, you know a lot of people don't know this when you're going from college you're pitching once a week you get to pro ball and it's every five days and that's a big adjustment to make and it's really hard to make that adjustment when you've already thrown 100 innings Um, you know so he'll have a full off season you know he's working on his body both of them are Chris and and Seth and working on their bodies, trying to make sure they're in, in top physical shape when they get to spring training and so that they're ready to give us 130 innings.
2: I'm glad you brought up Harden, too, because I was there for his professional first professional start against Fargo, and that night, I mean, I was just impressed. I thought he was very composed. He attacked the strike zone, but yeah. then he did struggle after that. But like you said, the, the innings were starting to add up for him, but, you know, Coming in the next season well-rested, he's another guy that I'm interested in seeing what he's got to offer.
1: Absolutely, and, and you're right. That first outing against Fargo, you know, and that was when Fargo had their full lineup, um, and he carved him up pretty good. Well, that was a little bit of an adrenaline dump. You know, it was his, his debut facing the defending champs in their ballpark with, you know, 4,000 people or whatever it was. You know so he he had you know that big adrenaline dump and and he just he never could get caught up in between those starts you know if that makes sense so the the second start he was okay third start it was a little bit a little bit less than okay and it you know it just it starts to pile up on you where you're not able to recover and, and, and I'm glad we ended up having that conversation um, you know it's funny because I had wanted to talk to both of them and they both sent me messages that they needed to chat with me I already knew what it was going to be because I knew they were both, you know, really tired. And before they could even say anything, I said, let me talk first. And, you know, because I wanted them to know that I was on the same page. And, and uh, you know, I think it worked out for, for all of us, you know. And both of those guys are extremely excited to be back. And, and, and we'll see with Harden. I mean, I think there's a better – more than likely he's going to be in the back of our bullpen. We really kind of want to see what he looks like when he's 93 to 95 with that big sweeping breaking ball. So. We'll see. We know we can start, but I think it could be a big piece for us on the back end.
2: You definitely have to go into 2024 a lot more excited about what your pitching staff is going to shape up to be than you were a year ago, I have to imagine, with these pieces in place now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was really excited until about three weeks before spring training. Um, you know, we had what I thought was going to be a fairly decent bullpen. Um, you know, I think you guys have probably noticed, and I think you guys have made comments about it, but it's really tough for us to get guys to sign. Um, we send them the contracts. They just don't send them back to us until really we get to spring training um, because of the buyout. Um, you know, so I had I had agreed to terms with two guys that had two years of AAA rotation experience that were going to be big pieces for us in our rotation. And three weeks before spring training started, they both backed out on me to go to tread to try to uh, gain some more velo. They thought that was better, in their best interest. And that kind of put me into, you know, scramble mode. And at that point, you know, when you're kind of banking on two major pieces like that, not to mention Mitchell Walters breaks his orbital bone, you know, three days before the season starts, Ty was dealing with, um, he, he got hit in the head in the off season was dealing with concussion stuff. So he, what he really shouldn't have been pitching the first month and a half of the season. And then obviously Bostic had, you know, a little bit of shoulder issues after his first start. So you had those three guys kind of being down plus the two, you know, veteran pieces in your rotation that don't show up. And it it ended up being a disaster. So we were just trying to survive for that. Those first, you know, three weeks a month until I knew I had some guys coming in, you know, guys like Chris Harden and, and Jose Cruz and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so hopefully fingers crossed, they all are healthy and we can get them all back and we don't get poached too bad by Mexico. And, uh, you know, we've got a decent core, um, you know, of guys that we had last year that had a lot of success for us. So, so it should be fun.
0: Well, from the selfish side for a minute here, Mike, I just want to say, you know, doing shows with you for about five years and, uh, yeah. and I got to know you quite well and, and super happy about the season you guys had and, and seeing that you have this contract extension, well-deserved. H- how do you feel about, you know, after, after this successful season, what what, what becomes kind of the, the pie-in-the-sky thing for Mike Meyer looking forward here to this upcoming year?
1: Yeah, so... You know, obviously, we've been building, you know, and that's the the thing that a lot of people outside don't, they don't really see what's going on in the clubhouse. You know, it's been, this has been a multi-year deal where we've been kind of, you know, a lot of culture, a lot of culture stuff, you know, bringing in the right guys, you know, building this environment that, you know, is going to make it the easiest for you to to be the best version of yourself on the field but also off the field. Um, You know, just really building that trust within the, the guys, but also with me and the front office and our sales team and really kind of creating that family environment that people, you know, they talk about and they say, you know, oh, it was the best clubhouse ever. No, we really actually have had that the last couple of years. It's been, it is like a, an extended family. You know, the problem we had was we just didn't have enough, we didn't have enough talent, you know, and, and I, I say this quite a bit, you know, you, you can't polish a turd. You know, and, and I'm not trying to be mean about it, but, you know, you can have the greatest culture in the world and it can be the best environment to go to work and you and you can be the best version of yourself, but if, if you're starting with no talent, you're not going to have the wins kind of racking up. And so we've been really kind of trying to build this thing and then hopefully, you know, it starts to, you know, feed itself where it's like, hey, now you got guys that are on the other side that are looking at it going, man, they really do love each other and they care about each other you know and they're and they're in last place you know i wonder what it would be like if i went there and helped them win and that's kind of the thing you know it was in the, with darnell when we were talking all off season was like look man you got a chance to come here and be a difference maker you know and be the guy that kind of puts us over the top and you know he had just seen everything that was kind of going on you know the last couple of years and how we just really generally loved each other and he wanted to be a part of it but he wanted to come in also and make a difference and help us win and i think you know, that was that was a huge step forward for us, you know, and, and to, to have such a good season and, and, and finish the way we did. And, you know, obviously we got knocked out in the playoffs, but all it's done is, is made the fire burn even more. Now the guys, that's all they're talking about. That's all they're focusing on. It's kind of like when you watch the last dance and you see those Chicago Bulls teams that keep getting knocked out by, you know, the Pistons, you know, guys are getting to work they're in the gym. They're, they're sharing ideas with each other. You know, they're just really kind of grinding. And for me, it's, it's, it just gives me the motivation to kind of grind even harder, trying to find that next piece. So that's it. We don't want to just kind of go to the playoffs one year and be back to normal. We need, we want to keep building this thing. You know, we've laid a lot of foundation brick by brick and, and we want to keep moving forward and we want to be you know, a perennial playoff team that's that's competing for championships every year.
0: Well, Mike, let's get back off baseball for a moment, because I know one of your favorite subjects to talk about is The Walking Dead. And that the the original series over. Have you watched the new, like the the continuations of Daryl and and Maggie and Negan? What what ones of those did you like?
1: So we're crazy busy these days, and so we don't have, Karen and I don't have as much time, but we have been watching, I think we're three episodes in now to Daryl over in France. And, you know, so far it's kind of cool. It's, you know, it's different. Um, You know, it's always tough. It's tough when you have these spinoffs. You know, we're going to watch this because we love Daryl Dixon so much. Um, and we're big fans of, of the show and the producers and and the directors and, and all that sort of thing. But I don't know that anything can really top the original, you know, series. I mean, we, we're still watching fear and, and it's solid, but it's nothing like the original and, and, uh, you know, but we'll definitely watch the, the, um, you know, the Maggie series as well. Um, you know, with Negan and kind of see where that goes as well. But, uh, But, yeah, we've been watching Daryl Dixon uh, so far. And, you know, it's cool and it's interesting, and it's always kind of fun to see where they're going to take it. So, um, yeah, if anybody's, you know, looking for something to watch, you know, I could recommend that one.
0: Fantastic. Well, Mike, we appreciate you joining us here tonight. And, you know, you've been a veteran here to the show, so you get to give us a great final thought. So the floor is yours.
1: Yeah, and speaking of veterans, you know, so my dad uh, fought in Vietnam and, and was wounded in Vietnam, lost his right hand half his stomach, got hit by a mortar. Uh, and I think, you know, for myself a lot of the time, you know, you kind of just take it for granted. Uh, but being veteran, you know, veterans uh, weekend, you know, and I, I send them nice messages or I talk to them and, and, you know, say thank you. And, you know, I'm proud of ya. Uh, but uh, I just encourage everybody that's out there, we all know somebody that served or, or is serving now, just to, to keep them in your thoughts and prayers and maybe not just wait until Veterans Day to send them a message, um, you know, or when you see them on the streets, uh, you know, make sure we thank them for allowing us to do the things that we get to do, um, you know, because of all the sacrifices they've made. So that's, that's what I got for you. Perfect. That's
0: fantastic. Mike Meyer, thanks for joining Kevin and I this week. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. All right,
1: thanks, guys. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk to you guys soon.
0: So, Kevin, always great having Mike on the show and uh, very excited to see where Sioux Falls will be heading this season.
2: No doubt about it. And, you know, some of these teams in the league, you know how good they're going to be. They're going to bring in players that we're more than familiar with and are going to put up the big numbers. But it's really fun to watch, to follow a team like Sioux Falls in Watch the career trajectory of, of several of the guys that we talked to Mike about Ball with, like Jordan Barth, like a Seth Miller, like Wyatt Ulrich. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's, it's stories like that that makes partner league baseball the fun sport that it is to
0: follow. And, you know, talking with Logan last week and, and his expressing to us about how potentially Mexico could be taking even more uh, players from leagues coming up this season uh, to have that baseline of a bunch of good young talent that will likely at least start in the American association this season. Mike's got to feel pretty confident that pitching staff could be a difference maker for him. And, when uh, I, mean, I thought he was a little, little harsh on the, on the criticism of this being the worst rotation ever or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think he's got a pretty solid group coming up there and, and uh, I. uh, uh, can they compete with Kansas City and Fargo? Yeah, I that, that definitely could this season. And, you know, on
2: my side of it, I, I get it. You know, Dan Vaughn was giving me grief about it last year, but, you know, I think he's right in a way. I do lean a little bit towards wanting to see Sioux Falls do well. It is the closest ballpark to my current hometown. And... I spent a lot of time there last summer and getting to do like four ball games with um, Tanner Hoops doing color for Tanner. You just – I felt a connection right away with this ball club. And you, like I said, there's just all the stories with it. You just wanted to do well. You know, the thing I didn't, I didn't think we talked about as much is how Mike leaned heavily into having a veteran laden lineup with uh, Mike Hart, with Jabari Henry, with Darnell Sweeney, with Ozzy Martinez. He he stacked most of the veterans into the position players. So, I mean, it was a fun lineup to watch, and it was fun to watch the, the team mature as the season went on, and I just feel like they were justifiably rewarded with that playoff spot.
0: You know, and it's great to see that, too, Kevin, because... Mike, I, I will say again, one of my favorite guys in the league, and I, I worry when I see a manager that the team doesn't always meet what you hope will be expectations for them. And club has struggled uh, since making the playoffs in 2020, but he got him turned around this year through a whole new philosophy that really seemed to work out, and I'm just excited to see him coming back next year. And um, it should be fun baseball in Sioux Falls once again. I hope fans come out and really enjoy this club next season.
2: And it's a great ownership group too. And you know, the ownership group and other entities have have always promoted that um that closeness among the whether it be your ball players, whether it be employees, that they created that they love that culture where, you know, there's a closeness between the management and the players. So, you know, they're just and you're seeing the results of it now. So I just hope they keep building upon that and You know, you hope at some point the city catches on, too, and gets some a new place to play out there. But until then, you know, they're going to make the
0: best of what they got. Well, besides the uh, extension that Mike got, another manager wound up returning this season to his club, Uh, Kevin, as Brett Jody will return to Lincoln. Um, And pretty excited for his return back to the Salt Dogs.
2: it was good to see. You know, Brett's had – he did have a playoff team two years ago. He He was right there this year. I mean, went down right down to nearly the final series before Lincoln was eliminated from playoff contention. So I think that Brett's doing a good job there. And, you know, I'm sure he'll tinker a bit with what he's got for players, and it'll be interesting to see who comes back in 2024.
0: Absolutely, and we'll discuss more about Lincoln uh, in an upcoming week, probably a week or two from now. But um, I, we're excited to see Brett return here, and I actually probably try to reach out and get him on the show. That's where we really need to be at. Well, Kevin, uh, not any other major American Association news going on right now. Managers of the big. Well, world I don't right believe did we that, cover last week? Um, Pete Cavilio? Oh no! I don't Lieber. think we were, we've been speculating. We've been speculating, but we yeah. haven't officially said that. So pick that up from there. Yeah,
2: that became, I believe that became official, of course, right after we um, put our show to bed. So he <laughs> didn't So now the head man at Cleburne, longtime independent uh, baseball manager. He's had success in pretty much everywhere he's gone. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does with the Cleburne Railroaders.
0: Well, one thing you know is that that team will be. Completely relentless in the pursuit of victories. Uh, Pete is about as competitive of a guy if you're going to find. I mean, you know, he, he's the kind of uh, to quote uh, Bob Eucher in Major League. He would be the kind of guy who would throw at his own kid in a father and son game. Um, <laughs> he, he he is that kind of competitive guy. And uh, watching him in Laredo and in Grand Prairie in his time there, um, wow, uh, just a. a he gets the best out of his players. The guys love him. They You hate him as the opposing player. You absolutely love him when he's your manager. And uh, no doubt in my mind that he will make Cleburne a very, very, very competitive team. So that East Division um, better step up their game because Cleburne's about to get extremely brutal. No offense to Logan Watkins because he was great, but Pete Encavillia is kind of a different different cat altogether.
2: Hey, yeah, you know, it's... You're right. It's, it's just, it seems like they're going in a different direction there.
0: Absolutely. So that should be pretty exciting to see what's going on. And it's just another example of uh, how the American Association improves in all aspects from one season to the next. And Logan is going to do a great job up there in Winnipeg. I have no doubt in my mind about that. And again, no disrespect to Greg Taggart and his longtime success in the American Association. I think Logan is a little bit younger, and that kind of sometimes can help players, especially in, a, in trying to rebuild up there in Winnipeg to to get to a guy that they might be able to relate to a little bit more. Then you have Pete coming in there and Cle and uh, Cleburne who should bring fire and brimstone down there. So, oh man, I'm I'm looking for one of the best seasons we've seen in this league, and uh, there, if you would like to say, Kevin, there's no off nights in the American Association.
2: That is for sure.
0: Well, Kevin, I don't believe we have any other news after that, and uh, we haven't been really watching out to see what's going on in uh, the other partner leagues right now, but, but we will in upcoming weeks and catch up on their manager signings and things that are happening there. I I think there's a World Series that just concluded or something. Uh, Texas won, so I know our buddy Dan Vaughn was happy about that.
2: Yes, I, you talked about – long suffering I mean anyone that's a Texas Rangers fan they've been they've been put through it ever since that franchise moved from Washington to Texas in the early 70s and you know when you think about it um, John Dittrick who many of us in the league know John was a part of that Texas Rangers organization for years too and I know that John up in heaven right now has a big smile on his face seeing that the Rangers finally won a World Series
0: championship. Well, Kevin, uh, time for shout outs. And uh, I I'll let you start this week. That's all right.
2: I am gonna give a shout out to my stepson Nicholas. Today he finished he had got a silver medal in the in his group in the Special Olympics for bowling. He bowled a 70 oh, wow. and a 52 for a 122. He he, he threw a beautiful strike <laughs> in the, the practice. And, you know, as a, as a baseball people can say, the first thing I thought was, don't waste it in the bullpen. <laughs> but he's, you know, Nicholas has been through a lot lately. For those that don't know, my stepson Nicholas has autism. And... He lost his father tragically on November first, so you know I know that's been weighing on his mind. So it was good to see him go out and have fun and bow in the Special Olympics and be out there with all the other athletes. So it was, you know, does a heart good to to go out and see something like that.
0: You know, and they always say, Kevin, that the. uh being able to get on the court or arena or lanes or whatever uh, helps you to get away from the things that are going on around you. So um, great that he was able to put that aside for a time and have a big success out there. So good for him. Let's see. uh, My shout out for this week will be, so I I was celebrating veterans day myself on, uh, on Saturday. um, My wife and I both. And so my shout out goes out to the many places out there that are generous and caring enough to provide free things to us veterans out there so uh, and this is not an exaggeration i think my wife and i went to 14 different places yesterday to get drinks or donuts or free coupons for things or we went to pizza ranch for lunch and had dinner at olive garden um two of my favorite places out there so um, the oversized Rob Pannier today, but uh, thank you to all those places out there that remember us veterans. So,
2: hey, you know, uh, 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 and a shout out to you and all the other veterans. And, and Nicholas's dad was also a veteran who had just got done serving in Iraq a, a month or so ago. So, shout out to you and the veterans for all you've done to keep our keep America the free country that it is. Well, thank you.
0: And to my son in law out there, who's still serving out there in the Navy for his remaining seven months, I believe, before he will finally be out the door. So, uh, thank you all the veterans out there, too, and for all the places out supporting us out there. Well, Kevin, uh, that wraps up our show for this week. Next week, Kevin and I will return back looking at the next team in our list of looking back on the 2023 season as, li- as well as looking forward to 2024. I don't know who that will be at this point, but. Uh, Man, it's been great. Two, two fantastic managers that we love, and so uh, we're pretty excited about next week's show. So for Kevin Luco, I'm Rob Panier. We'll see you next time on um, This Week in the Association.